Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas today, guys. We are in the data and analytics space. And not only that, we're going to talk about a brand new book you guys are going to find fascinating. It's on momentum. Actually, one of my favorite topics in addition to the whole data and analytics topic. So, I mean, magical time coming up. I'm super excited. You guys are going to love my guest, Mike Berland. Mike, it is so great having you on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Dude, so awesome having you on. Um, I, as I was, we just spent like 15 minutes, like already diving into so many amazing topics. And I was like, wait, wait, I got to record. But um, it's so cool. I love your background um, in this space, the insights analytics space. Um, for those who don't know Mike, he's got his own company. He's founder and CEO of a, a great company called Decode M. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He's an author. He's written a couple of interesting books, um, both on leadership and then on one on fat, the fat burning machine. I know we got to talk about that in a moment and then his newest book (laughs) maximum momentum how to get it how to keep it it's a ton but you guys are going to love this let's start with this um mike how did you even get into this whole data and and insights analytics space like from your career perspective and then we got to get to some election talk so tell us some of your background all right so when i was growing up in chicago i ran for student council twice in (laughs) junior and senior year and I lost, uh, I'm going to sound like Donald Trump here. I, <laughs> I lost both elections by one vote. Like oh, one vote, no. Two votes. And I just decided at that moment that I no longer wanted to be an elected uh, official, that I no longer wanted to be king, but that I would be king maker. And oh, that I, would I help. love that. I, I, I understood how to win elections. I understood how to give people ideas. And I, I realized at that moment that when the king when the king is shot or when the king loses, they're done. And that I would never be in that position again. And I would just work for multiple candidates. So when I was in high school, I decided to become a political consultant. And then I structured my, I structured what I studied at school. And then the internships that I got all on political consulting, but not, but not going see because I also didn't want to be in the swamp. Got it. Okay. So I love that. So what is it that you figured out at that time that, you know, it was kind of the, the piece of knowledge that you said, okay, I know how this works. I can actually enable others. Like what was it that you figured out that was, you know, the, 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 either the formula for it or whatnot that made you important. Does that make sense? I learned, I learned how to target voters and I learned about persuasion messaging. So I understood that different voters based on um, uh, demographics or based on interests would respond to different messages. And it was like it was it was almost like um, uh, I, I was born with this talent where I could I could understand how to shape people's opinion and how to get them to take actions wow. by messaging. And so training to become a pollster gave me that um, data background and the research skills to do that at scale in any situation. So I learned how to write questionnaires and then how to tabulate. Justin, I was a analyst running cross tabs on a, (laughs) a, like, like, 
1989. That's where I. Oh that's God. where I started. Now, but that was early days of like using data like that, right? I remember during the Obama campaign, there was a huge, you know, to do about in a good way, like about how data was truly used to to target and, and to engage with voters. But so what was it like in 89? In 89, we, you understood, um, you understood, you know, gender, you understood the issues that were important. You understood age, you understood race, you understood where they were and that, Different people responded to different messages. Look, my first political candidate was uh, um, was the mayor of New York, Ed Koch. My oh, second wow. political candidate was um, Bill Clinton. Like wow. I, I started Jeez. in the big leagues. That's amazing. Now, did they know what they were going to get from you, or did you have to help under help them understand like the value you were bringing? Does that make sense? Yeah, so um, our firm was called Penn, Schoen, and Brilliant. I had these amazing mentors, Mark Penn and Doug Schoen, who are still out there doing politics. And what they did is um, Mark Penn actually built the computer that did the tabulations, and they um, and they understood that they were going to get insight into the electorate that no one else had, and that this was going to be invaluable information that would drive their TV advertising, their field operations, and most importantly, Justin, their fundraising. Ah, got it. And such a key part of any campaign, that's right? Ever, that's what nobody talks about with um, in political polling and targeting, is that the most valuable resource it is, is it helps you raise money. Wow. Now, talk about the... the- the intricacies of this for those that are listening that are you know in the tech space that know you know for example cloud platforms know integrated data warehouses that know bi and reporting and whatnot and some of the analytics you might do like do you guys have the tools or do you how does that work when you you take on a new client do you bring the full portfolio like what does that look like yeah no we um so holding as you can tell by all these media polls has, <laughs> yeah. has actually become a lot easier over time, and voters have become um, uh, much more accessible. Getting access to the whole uh, 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 voter database in all 50 states might take you um, less than half an hour and would require, you wouldn't even need cloud computing. You could put it all on your, your Apple uh, laptop and sure. that, or, or your, 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 your iPad or whatever. It's, it's really um, not that big of a database, when you think about how big the consumer database is. Got it. Wow. And But you guys have all the formulas. I know now with your company, I mean, you guys do quant research, you do flash polls, you've got right. your own M-factor tool, we'll have to dive into that, focus groups, et cetera. So, I mean, but you guys have the tools and the templates, right? So you can come in prepared to grab data and start using it. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's, I've left polling behind. So polling right now for me is very good to understand the why, but we use our M factor, which is a metric of cultural relevance uh, built on social um, uh, media analytics, based on blogs, based on forums. And we have custom algorithms to understand the momentum that something has. The, with using the old Newtonian definition of mass times velocity, I've written using AI and NLP. I've written uh, algorithms to, ca- to understand and calculate mass. And then we have sentiment algorithms to understand velocity using uh, AFIN and beta um, sentiment analyses. And that's, that's the magic of what I do right now. Polling has uh, been left behind 
and it's old school. Wow. Now, okay, so let's fast forward now to the current election. Like, did you work with um, candidates in this this election, and what did that look like? And how did you guys kind of look at the market and whatnot? Um, well, this election, I was um, very purposely focused. I'm not working for a candidate, but I wanted to understand the momentum and the uh, momentum forces of issues that were affecting the electorate. I wanted to understand the momentum of the candidates, and I wanted to understand what would actually, what this election would be about. So here's a startling statistic for you. Joe Biden, as a Democratic candidate in the primaries, had no elect, had no momentum whatsoever until the South Carolina primary where he where he won. At that moment, all the Democratic candidates dropped out of the race, uh, and, uh, except for Bernie, and, gave, and, and really gave the momentum to Biden by turning over their supporters and saying, and getting behind Biden. So he never had electoral uh, momentum until that moment when, when Kulbachar and Buttigieg and sure. all those people dropped out, ultimately Bloomberg. And that's what propelled him. And so, and then COVID hit, and Bernie was never able to get momentum back after he took the Super Tuesday loss and the South Carolina loss. COVID shut down all the campaigns. Biden became our nominee. Now, how do you measure momentum in a in a political candidate? In a moment, we'll get to brands and, and companies as well with your book. But like, how do you measure momentum? Like, and I think it's such a great concept. You you still use this thing. That's what's the greatest thing about M Factor. No matter uh, if it's a candidate or a brand or a product, use it's still mass times velocity. So so Joe Biden always had incredible mass. He's been a household name since 1988 when sure. he first ran for president. But he had no velocity. No one was talking about Joe Biden. There was no engagement. There was no discussion. There was no polarization. Joe Biden did not exist until the forces uh, and the momentum came from the other candidates to elevate it. And even then, his velocity was purely based on the fact that the other candidates had dropped out. Got it. Wow. That's fascinating. Now, um, are you able to measure momentum over time with with a political candidate? And in other words, are you able to see, you know, what triggers increased momentum or what triggers decreased momentum? A hundred percent. So, uh, so, so we have Joe Biden at relatively flat momentum, right? Sure. Then we had uh, Donald Trump, who was at the other end of the spectrum, <laughs> whose momentum, was, whose momentum was fluctuating. Um, uh, uh, literally uh, week by week as he uh, as he had the COVID issue, had economic crisis, um, uh, and, and it was, you know, uh, had gone through so many uh, issues himself. So he was going through a number uh, had, you know, was, uh, impeachment. I mean, he had so many different issues that he dealt with. So his momentum was up and down. And what was interesting was a month out, his momentum had actually dropped when he got um, uh, when he got COVID, and his momentum also dropped with um, when he nominated uh, Justice Barrett. 
And then towards the end of the campaign, Trump's momentum was surging. So last Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Trump's momentum had surged. And we saw that turn out on Election Day. Biden's people had voted for the previous month. Trump's people all voted uh, on Election Day. That's so Not fascinating. All, but, 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 the vast, but the vast majority. And we saw this all with our M-Factor data. Wow. That is so cool. Do, do you find that candidates more and more are relying on data to drive campaigns? Or are there still some laggards that are kind of more traditionalist? Does that make sense? I, I would say corporations are much more on the cutting edge of momentum. We have a number of, 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 of companies, um, brands, products, celebrities who are using M-Factor to make decisions to grow their business. And that's quite significant. I love that. Politics is really behind because they're not using AI. They're not using um, analytics so much. And this is like every, the last election, this election, people keep bitching about the pollsters and saying how they got it wrong. I'm like, wait a minute, there are so many different data sources available. Why are you using the most old school methodology (laughs) to try to predict the elections? There's much better tools available. That's fascinating. I, I'm, it's surprising and shocking that more aren't leveraging it, especially when the tools and and the people, quite frankly, the people with the skill sets, like those that probably work with you, um, are more and more readily available. Right? I mean, this is an area that's just taking off, and I know on the corporate side, it's my that's my day my day job. Yeah, because analytics um, is still mysterious to anybody. Um, it used to be anybody over thirty. Now it might be anybody <laughs> over forty. Nice. Still, it's still a young people's. Uh, uh, it's a young people's world and a young people's tool. Like you have to have a profound understanding of the impact of social media and how it works. You have to understand the, uh, how uh, natural language processing works and the power of artificial intelligence, and not be scared of it, but really lean into it. Like why? Why do you have to write sentiment algorithms? that continuously learn to understand how conversations are going. That's not comfortable to the vast majority of, 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 you know, of the generations who are now running things. It will be, but then, you know, I think the next election, I don't think we're going to have a 77 and a 74 year old man running for right. office. Yeah. And, you know, um, totally. And, and, a t- totally different sidebar on that. It's just amazing to me that with so many strong uh, you know, personalities and and people making a, a difference in the world that you don't. I don't know. I, I just. I, it's just interesting to see you know what comes through the funnel of of politics. You know, and and I think some are discouraged from getting involved, and and others have been around it and have thicker skin. Maybe that's a, and, and 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 that whole idea of thicker skin. I think is going to go away. Because if you're in the TikTok generation, you don't need thick skin. If no, you're, you know, like you Instagram, like right. in, but Instagram might have been the last platform that you had to perform for. Oh, right? that's so you interesting. Well, Instagram, you had to get the picture right, you had to get the clothes right, you had to get the outfit right. You know, right? Instagram was a perfect world. True. TikTok is, and, and the new platforms are not perfect worlds. No, that's true. Snapchat, although and I... So, like, if, I know, I mean, but, I, I'm still, I mean, I love Instagram. I mean, I, I don't know, I just, but yeah, I know what you're saying. You got to get the color right and the photo, and I mean, anyway. Um, yeah, but, it's but, so crazy. but can you get past Instagram? 
I can. Definitely I can. I just have to be I just have I to be introduced get, to it. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I like that's the challenge. Like, can you get can you get past the perfect world and just get into the real world? Right. I think that's Which not I'm not asking you personally, but that's but that's the challenge. Like why does everything is in the in the real world everything doesn't work out right. I totally and, agree. And and that's that's and that's when I think we're gonna get the politicians who will lay it all out there who will acknowledge that they're not perfect. Um, in some ways, Donald Trump, and some people think that Donald Trump set the lowest bar. In other ways, Donald Trump set the highest bar. But what he's done is he's, he's made it okay to be not perfect, and he's made it okay to be polarizing. And now, in comparison, it's going to be hard to out-polarize Donald Trump. <laughs> totally, so agree. totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah, I just, I mean, oh God, we could get a whole into a whole discussion on this, um, on that topic. I have to ask you, um, I love this whole idea of momentum. You've got your new book, Maximum Momentum, How to Get It, How to Keep It. Okay, we talked politics a bit, and I'm sure we'll bounce back to it in a moment, but let's let's move over to like the, comp- the companies out there, the brands. Um, we have a lot of big brands that listen to our podcast, a lot of retail leaders that listen to our podcast, on, and of course, on the consumer goods side. Like how, when you think about brands that have momentum or, or have been able to garner momentum or trigger new momentum, what are the ones you, you've either seen or worked with? And give us some examples of, of how they've been able to do it. Well, I think the, the classic momentum brand out there that people talk about is Apple, oh, who have, yes. have, 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 have gone through constant transformation to stay culturally relevant. And uh, even even now, we're still anticipating the iPhone 12. How totally. stupid are we? And yet, and yet <laughs> I, can't, think. <laughs> I can't wait until it arrives. I know. I agree. I'm with you on that. You know, because they've come up with new features. But what we're also seeing is that brands are using momentum to uh, either invent themselves. Like, I think we saw a brand called Noom. I don't know if you were watching um, an election coverage. There was a brand called Noom that has a a new weight loss system that they were talking about. I did see that. Yeah, they're demystifying weight loss. They're making it accessible and, and, and very inclusive and sort of really have caught the imagination. So they're gaining momentum. We're seeing an old school brand like Crocs um, who have been around forever, who are, are gaining momentum uh, in, in the way that they're doing collaborations. They did. Uh, right. They just Justin Bieber. Justin yeah. Bieber I saw that. that, that even you know about it and wait, and I have the ultimate momentum master. I can't wait. So we all know McDonald's and we think of it as the biggest uh, you know, mass, fast food, same thing, consistent worldwide, right? Uh, how, do, how does a brand like Mo, uh, McDonald's get momentum? They're doing collaborations and curating meals and promoting it that way to tap into uh, 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 audiences. And so now you can get specialty meals. You can get the Travis Scott meal. You can get the J Balvin meal. You can get these new meals that all of a sudden you don't want McDonald's you want the curated meal. And ah, that's interesting. Wow. That's fascinating. Um, and so, it, but as I think of each of those, each of them is somewhat reinventing themselves either repeatedly or regularly and or 
engaging with, you know, I'd say the up and coming consumer and or offering innovation that's unique and different, right? I mean, they're not just sitting back on their laurels with their, you know, standard products that have worked for years. Yeah, no, uh, um, that's right. Momentum is about constant transformation. There's five momentum drivers, Justin. There's disruption, innovation, polarization, stickiness, and social impact. And you have to drive. Uh, you have to drive those. You have to. You have to pull those momentum drivers to have momentum and not be scared of them. Don't don't be scared to disrupt yourself. Don't be uh, timid to uh, be polarizing. Those all work. I love that. And, <clears throat> and the other thing I love, I, I was reading your book, and I love this whole idea of a new vocabulary. You're like mass, velocity, acceleration, energy, drive, thrust, or stagnation, complacency. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I've ever used this word before, torpor and apathy. Dude, torpor. I don't know. Right. Um, I, I read that and I was like, yes, I love the first set of words, but a lot of people get, especially in their careers and, and within companies, you know, they get, get stagnant, right? Or complacent. So talk about, you know, I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders that listen to our podcast. Like what are some of the threats to momentum that they should be thinking about with either their, their groups their teams, their brands or companies? Okay. So you, uh, you'll find this ironic. The biggest threat to momentum is success oh. because success no because success leads to complacency. If you're having success, you're not thinking about how you want to drive a, a, a transformation. You get too much mass, which is what success is, and you're not driving your velocity. Interesting. And we know that the key to we know that the key to um, momentum is to continuously drive your velocity, which will get uh, to mass. Oh, and that's and that's where everybody makes a mistake. Like you're doing so well, everything's moving forward, and you're like your sales, like Peloton, your sales are soaring. You've got great mass. You're not thinking about the next thing or the next thing after that that's going to drive your velocity. Right. No, that's true. I mean, they're just and, trying and, to keep up with demand. And, <laughs> right. So, and, well, and because mass is because mass is where dollars are at. Right. Mass is volume. Uh, um, and, and so it, it, when you have big mass, you have really good revenue, but you don't, but velocity is where growth comes from. Wow. And you've got to always keep your uh, pedal to the metal on growth and velocity. So with the companies you've worked with, what are some of the ways that you've coached them or some of the processes or the methods you've put in place to almost ensure a consistent, you know, a fuel for momentum? We're always we're always looking at their velocity uh, drivers, and we're thinking through the next thing. As as soon as one thing takes off, we're looking at what that next transformation can be. And we have velocity uh, uh, analytics that really look at uh, engagement and polarization uh, uh, to to look at what what is what is the what is that conversation how um, you know, in, in polarization how emotionally uh engaged is it so that we can see that you're driving the velocity oh, i love that you outlined a few minutes ago a couple of the, the key drivers of momentum how about pick one or two of those and unpack those for us well um i think that we all know what um disruption is right turning things up and down with the scary one 
is polarization. Mm. And polarization says, why me? Why, why should I, why, who is this for and who is this not for? And what we find is many companies are scared to take a stand like that and say, who, who is, who are we not for? Oh, interesting. So by doing that, that's and so, so tough. Nobody wants to polarize because they think it's, well, polarization is negative. We're going to turn people off. You won't turn the people off who want to be with you. You won't turn off your target audience. That's fascinating. So it's so know who you're for <clears throat> and who you're targeting and know that you're not going to accommodate for everybody. Yeah, go into a company and say you want to be polarizing. They'll throw you out. Right. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> I think that's an They'll interesting say, concept and a challenging one. You're right. Right. And I think somehow um, polarization got politicized. And so that's what may, and so maybe that will tone down a little bit. Right. Um, they would say, like, uh, 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 Donald Trump is very polarizing. And they were, and so they, they politicized a word that didn't need to be politicized. Got it. Wow. And, and, and they made it, I mean, look, they politicized masks too. Like, masks don't need to politic, be no, politicized. No, I agree. You know, like, they just, it just helped you not spread germs. Like, don't make it a political statement. Right. It is, it's pretty simple. Um, so, okay. So that's, the polarization one, which I love, pick one more for us that you think is somewhat challenging um, for companies and leaders to not only comprehend, but to, to really implement and, and leverage. Well, people, I think companies get confused between disruption and innovation, mm. right? And, um, because innovation is sort of new and improved and disruption is turning something uh, on its head and doing it completely differently. And people get those two confused. Um, when they're, when they're, um, you have to, you have to disrupt something when you want to just change it around. So if you're a challenger, you're much more likely to do a disruption. Like, like our client Airbnb, uh, disrupted the whole travel no question. Uh, industry. They are truly right? a disruptor. Um, but, but an innovation is a sort of food. If you're the market leader, like Apple, their transformations are all about innovation. They haven't disrupted shit in, in what, 20 years. <laughs> right. That's yeah. I I'm sure some of them would argue with that, right? But you, yeah, I I can I can see they, the point. Did, so, but but when was their last um, when was their last disruption? Like when did they turn something completely upside down that we had never thought of in that way? They just had constant innovation, and they've had constant social impact. They've had True. stickiness. I mean, they've done a totally. massive ecosystem. Uh, yeah. No question. Yeah, and could somebody could somebody disrupt Apple? Like I don't know why. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it's not twenty years. Fifteen years later, we're still waiting for the new iPhone. Why can't something new come along? I mean, but they do it well. And once you're in the ecosystem, you know, I've got a MacBook Pro and my Apple Watch and my yeah. Apple iPhone. Like, all talk to one another. The, you know, you know the deal. It's easy. To, all of it's going to links together. Um, all right. So I have to ask. So I, I, when I was doing my research on you, I saw you co-authored a couple other books. And uh, one of yeah. them was around leadership, which I thought was cool. What makes you tick? How successful people do it? And what you can learn from them? Pretty cool with, with Doug. Um, uh, but I have to. I know you're an athlete and you, you exercise and whatnot. But... Dude, the fat burning machine, the twelve week diet. Like when I saw that, I was like, "What? Like where did that come from? And how did that fit into your story?" <laughs> um, well, okay. So the simple answer is, <laughs> I 
I, I had gained, I had gained one pound a year. Like most guys do. I had gained one pound a year since the time I was 18. And by the time I got to 45, I was, I was morbidly obese, but not like hugely obese. Like I could still play golf. I could still do a 5k or a 10k, but I was, I gained weight and my doctor wanted to put me on Lipitor because I had a cholesterol issue. And so I, I was trying to find a way to, um, to, to lose the, the, the body fat. And I went to, um, all sorts of doctors. I went to nutritionists. Um, to, uh, I went to trainers to try to find out, you know, what the answer was. And I realized that each of them only gave you part of the answer. You could never get the whole answer. And so as a good researcher, I wanted to share my story without having the professional credential to be a doctor or a nutritionist or a trainer, but to be a good researcher, to, to bring all my information together and to share it with, with people. And so I wrote the book, Fat Burning Machine, and then really um, uh, much to my shock and surprise, it became a New York Times bestseller. I saw that. And that <laughs> it's amazing. Well, because I, I had found that like most people who gain weight around their middle have something called metabolic syndrome, whereas your body is um, uh, designed to store fat uh, rather than to burn it. And so there were foods that burned fat and there were foods that stored fat and nobody, nobody had ever told me the difference. So I wrote the book and I wrote a list. Here are fat burning foods. Here are um, fat storing foods. Here's exercise. You don't have to exercise four hours a day. You have to exercise for 20 minutes, but you have to do, um, uh, you know, uh, high, uh, uh, high intensive intervals sure. to, to lose weight. You know, get your heart rate up, let your heart rate go down. And yep. I just wanted, I was sick of, um, I was sick of being ripped off and I wanted to share the story. <laughs> That's so awesome. I love that. Oh my it, God. It, for those it, listening. It, as a researcher, you love that, right? Totally. So you, you collect data and you share it. I'd, I'd love that. I mean, everyone listening, example A of not just thinking about it, but doing it um, and putting it to, to work in action. You never know what might come out of it. You didn't, I, I'm guessing when you wrote that one, you didn't think it was going to be a New York Times bestseller, right? Thought it'd be interesting, but. No, I, I mean, wow. I wrote that one on a plane home from a business trip because I was so bored. And I thought, <laughs> wait a minute, I just lost all the weight. I should share this story so that other people don't have to go through um, uh, 20 years of just gaining weight like I did. Dude, I love it. Uh, um, you know, I'll dial it right back to politics as we close. Um, what do you do? You see the data and analytics trends um, growing, progressing over the next two, four, six, however many years as as other election cycles come up. And and do you think that's driven by you know younger candidates? I'll call it um, that are more in tune or aware of how to leverage data. Yes, I I, I believe that. Over the next cycle, data will get more, data analytics will get more and more used by politicians um, simply because the data is available. Sure. We know every, we know everything about each and every registered voter. We know most things about um, uh, every consumer. All data is being collected, um, you know, what does Facebook have 2.7 billion users? So um, yes, they, we need to use these tools 
to get information to people. Stop with the fake news and and and, <laughs> right. and the privacy and just give people the facts so they can make decisions. Totally agree. That's a great way to end it. Um, man, you got to come back. I mean, we could cover a lot of other topics. Um, Mike, share with our listeners how they can connect with you and your company, learn more about the space. Well, the best way to connect with us is to go to our website. Uh, we're decode M, so D-E-C-O-D-E hyphen M dot com, uh, decoding data uh, into momentum. Like I said, we work for um, a range of clients from uh, a guy who wants to start up and grow his business to, to the largest multinationals with the same idea of momentum leads to growth. Dude, I love that. Mass Times Velocity. Um, Mike, it's been so great meeting you, having you on the podcast. I can't wait to have you back on. Thanks for making the time. Uh, my pleasure. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at ContenderCast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.